Okay, there we go. Okay. Good job. Thank you. Um, and I want to shout out to Andrew uh, Schaefe, who also had the same issue last year, last week, I heard, with his microphone. Um, thank you, Andrews. I don't think they're here this morning. Step in and fill in for me in the pulpit last week. My family and I were able to go to the coast and enjoy a couple sunny days and then mostly foggy days at the coast. But we, for the first time, saw whales Depot Bay around there and hadn't ever seen whales before, and that was a cool, cool thing for us to be able to do and just take some time to get some rest. So we're grateful for that. Thank you, Andrew, for filling in. Uh, this morning, as we come to the stories here in Matthew chapter 12, we recall that uh, last week Andrew taught about Jesus' words where he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon me and and learn from me. And really that whole passage uh, is leading to this passage here in Matthew chapter 12, where we get into this controversy around the Sabbath uh, with the Pharisees. As Jesus is, is walking through these wheat fields with his disciples during the Sabbath, and his disciples, because they're hungry, they begin, in, in these wheat fields, they begin to pluck heads of grain off of, off of the wheat in the fields and eat them. And it says that the Pharisees saw this and said to him. That, so I always get the picture in my mind that Jesus and his disciples are walking through this wheat field. And I think like field of dreams is what I think of, right? Is, which is a cornfield, so it doesn't make a lot of sense. But... That's kind of the picture I get is, is, you know, Kevin Costner walking through and, and all of a sudden these Pharisees pop up, right? They're just like in the middle of the field waiting for him and they've got their pads of paper and they're writing things down against him, like, you know, all the things that, that he's doing wrong. And here they are, um, probably not how it happened, but it, it makes me laugh when I think about it. And he says, they say to him, look, your disciples are doing something that isn't lawful to do on the Sabbath. And they weren't talking about them walking. You could only walk a certain distance on the Sabbath, so they must have been somewhere where they could see and and at least shout out to him and call them on what they saw as an issue. But why did they see this as an issue? Why did they why did they see Jesus and his disciples and call them out on this? Well, over the centuries before Jesus, uh, the rabbis over the centuries had created lists of rules for what an observant Jew could do and not do on the Sabbath, right? The Sabbath was intended to be a day of rest. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Honor the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. It was meant to be a day of rest where absolutely no work should be done. Now, that kind of begs the question, does it? What is work? What counts as work. And you look all through the law of Moses, from Genesis through Deuteronomy, you could read through the whole thing, and you're not going to find a lot of detail on what counted as work on the Sabbath. There's not a lot of detail there, so so it doesn't give us a lot of help to clarify the, the question. Now, on top of that, everyone has a different definition of work. Do you agree? You go to a workplace with more than one person, and you have different concepts of what counts as work. Okay, one person's Eight-hour day is another person's one-hour day. Everyone has a different, def, def, different, different definition of work. So that brings, since Moses didn't give a lot of clarity in it, a lot, everybody has different definitions of work. That brings a lot of ambiguity. And we're not comfortable with ambiguity. We're not comfortable when the rules aren't clear. And for people who especially care and, and 
care about honoring God by observing the law. And that's who the Pharisees were. These were the people who were serious about God. They wanted to please him. They wanted to honor him by observing his law. For them, the more details we have, the better, right? The more rules we have, the better. So over time, the rabbis came up with a list of 39 rules, 39 categories of rules. And these categories included such things as prohibitions on carrying something. So remember, Jesus heals the man who who is a paraplegic, basically, he tells him to pick up his mat, and he got busted for picking up his mat and carrying it in the book of John. Prohibitions on burning things, starting fires. Prohibitions on putting out fires. Prohibitions on writing. You also couldn't erase. (laughs) Prohibitions on erasing. Prohibitions on cooking, on washing, sewing, tearing, slaughtering, plowing, planting, reaping, harvesting, and threshing, uh, along with many others. And it was these last few prohibitions which the Pharisees were using to critique Jesus and his disciples. So what were they doing? They were walking through a, a wheat field. They were picking heads of grain off the wheat. They weren't out there with you know big size like like reaping and and uh, doing all the work of a, of a harvest. They were picking little grains, harvesting them, and then um, threshing them, if you will, with their fingers to get the chaff off and then eating the seed. They called that harvesting, threshing. It was work. This was unlawful work on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees believed that, that God's people were truly God's people insofar as they kept the covenant, insofar as they they kind of separated themselves through their actions from the other nations, through their behavior, separating themselves from the other people. So to be a Jew is to have the law, but not just to have the law, but to keep the law. And to keep the law required observing the Sabbath. Sabbath keeping was even seen and understood as a sign of their covenant with God. So Ezekiel puts it this way in Ezekiel chapter 20. God says, Moreover, I gave them, I gave the people of Israel my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. But even here, you read these words from Ezekiel, it's clear that God has given Israel the Sabbath to point them to something. To remind them of something is a sign that they would see and observe and remind. And what they were reminded of or should have been reminded of was God himself. They should have been reminded of him and his work of making them a holy people. It was really a sign of God's mercy towards them. That he would choose them out of all the nations of the world and make them his own special people. Over time, however... What these people became more interested in was the how of the Sabbath. How do we do it? What are the rules more than the why of the Sabbath? Why has God given us this gift? Something that should have pointed them to God ended up pointing them actually to themselves. And because it caused them to look at themselves, it also caused them not only to miss God, but to miss their neighbors. And don't we do this sometimes too? 
taking the, the good gifts that God has given us and using them for ourselves, turning, turning them inward on ourselves so that we miss not only God, but also our neighbor. We become enamored with ourselves and miss the ways in which we should be loving others. So that's the issue. These disciples were unlawfully harvesting and threshing grain on the Sabbath. And then Jesus responds very quickly to, uh, to these Pharisees with two examples. And the, they're interesting examples. And the first is the story of David and the showbread. He said to them, you've read, haven't you, what David, along with the men who were with him, did when he was hungry? How he went into the house of God, which at that time would have been the tabernacle, went into the house of God and ate the dedicated loaves, which were not lawful for him, nor the men who were with him to eat, but only for the priest. And Jesus is referencing a story from 1 Samuel chapter 21. You can go back and read it if you want. Of David when he is actually fleeing from King Saul, who's trying to kill him, trying to murder him. And he flees. He's on his own in this story. And he, he comes to this place called Nob where the tabernacle was temporarily set up. And the priest comes out and meets him. And he tells him this story. I'm going, I'm going to meet my men and I need supplies. I need food. I need a sword. He gets Goliath's sword. And then the priest is just like, hey, look, the only bread I have is this bread that has been in God's presence in the tabernacle called the showbread, these 12 loaves. This is all that I have. We're taking it away and we're replacing it. So you can take this, but just make sure that you guys are ceremonially clean. And David's like, oh, yeah, we're all ceremonially clean. We're going to war. So he gives them the food. They take it. And this was bread, which was a sacred thing. It wasn't just any ordinary loaf of bread. It was, it was bread that was devoted to be in God's presence before him in the tabernacle. It was a sacred thing from a sacred, sacred place. Only the priests were supposed to eat it. And yet the priest gives it to David to use for himself and for his hungry soldiers with whom he was apparently going to be meeting up with soon. Now, this is an interesting story for Jesus to reference when the Pharisees are calling him on the, on the Sabbath because if you notice, it doesn't have anything to do with the Sabbath. It doesn't talk about the Sabbath at all. But there's a connection here and then I think Jesus is actually identifying himself with David. He's saying, look, this is the story that goes with this. It's the David story, David and his men. And here I am with my men, giving them something to eat, providing for their needs of my guys. So first of all, I think at one level, Jesus is identifying himself with David here, the king, the anointed one. But Jesus is also saying here that David's need and the need of his men, their hunger, was greater than the rule of the tabernacle. In other words, even though the things of the tabernacle and and later the temple, the things in the tabernacle, the, the rules of the tabernacle are commanded by God. These things are devoted to God. Mercy, in light of human need, trumps these particular rules. So here's guys who were in need of mercy. They were in need of food, of bread. And sacred bread is ultimately intended to serve the needs of God's people, not the other way around. Mercy is greater, as Jesus will say in a moment, mercy is greater. Desire mercy more than sacrifice. So then Jesus gives this second example. He jumps right into it in verse 5. A second illustration 
It's connected with the priests and with the temple, but it's also connected with the Sabbath. He says, have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the Sabbath, yet remain innocent? How do they desecrate the Sabbath? Well, they're breaking one of those 39 rules. They're slaughtering animals. They're continuing to do the sacrifices on the Sabbath. And the same principle applies here. And Jesus is connecting the temple rules now, though, with the Sabbath rules. There are times, he's saying, when one of God's rules trumps another one of God's rules. Or at least changes how we should approach it. There are exceptions for the rules. And when we get hung up or high-centered on rules, we miss God's intentions for the rules in the first place. So Jesus is making a general observation that even on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple still offer regular daily sacrifices because of the work of the temple that must continue even on the Sabbath. So the work of the temple, in a sense, trumps these detailed rules on the Sabbath. But both of these examples, really, Jesus is getting to this point here where he's, he's, he's using these examples to point to a greater truth. And the point beyond the rules of the temple this point beyond the rules of the Sabbath. So, so when confronted by the Pharisees who have kind of deemed themselves the guardians of the Sabbath, when, when he's confronted by them, Jesus doesn't claim to be able to do whatever he wants to do on the Sabbath. He's not making this wide claim like whatever, I, whatever whim I have is the new Sabbath rule. He's not trying to offer this new set of rules or, or rule number 40 for the Sabbath. His claims are bigger than that. They're much more all-encompassing than simply just saying, hey, here's a new set of rules, guys. He's showing them that he is actually the one who makes the rules. I say to you, one greater than the temple is here, verse 6. And if you had known what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, then you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus is saying, This isn't really about these rules, guys. This is all about me. Jesus is greater. And the first thing that he's greater than is the temple. One, something greater than the temple is here. Now, the temple was a big deal. The temple was the geographic center of Israel. It was the place on the earth where God and his people could meet together. It was an image, if you will, of the Garden of Eden, and it represented God's presence with his people. But but due to sin, we know that God could only dwell with his people through sacrifice, which was a violent, substitutionary death of something, an animal, in their place, so that they didn't have to take that death on themselves. And sacrifice itself always represented God's mercy. Sure, it represents his judgment, but it represents his mercy for sinners who themselves deserve a violent death. Mercy is the point of sacrifice. That's why Jesus can quote Hosea that that mercy is more desired than sacrifice because mercy always trumps sacrifice. The whole point of sacrifice is mercy. God doesn't require the sacrifices at the expense of mercy. He requires the sacrifices because he is merciful. The intent of the temple was always mercy. 
Now Jesus is saying that he is the true and the better temple. And so he brings, like if the, t- if the temple was the center of God's presence, Jesus is bringing this seismic shift. He's moving everything aw- around and redefining the way that God meets with his people. He now comes to them through a true and better sacrifice and a true and better temple. And he offers mercy in the person of his first and only born son who has himself become the sacrifice for the atonement of our sins. And Emmanuel, God with us, who comes and dwells with his people in the flesh. That's who Jesus is. The true and better temple, the true and better sacrifice. But he doesn't stop there. Jesus also says he is Lord of the Sabbath. So the temple, follow with me here for a second. The temple was was the geographic center of Israel, the place where, where, where God would meet with his people. The Sabbath for Israel was the temporal center of Israel's life. The temple was a place in time. The Sabbath was, excuse me, a, a place. And the temple, or the Sabbath was a time. The temple was a place, Sabbath was a time. The regular weekly time when God and his people would rest from their normal routine, in order to be together. And in the beginning, God had created for six days, and then we read in Genesis chapter 2, where it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work. Finished his work on the sixth, rested on the seventh from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So God's rest here in in Genesis chapter 2 symbolizes completion. It's, It's God finishing, calling it all good, and then resting from his creative work. And his example of rest is what actually establishes the routine of Sabbath for Israel. So in Exodus 20, when God gives the Ten Commandments in the law, here's what he says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So so the reasoning that that God gives in Exodus for the Sabbath is his own rest, his own example of, of doing a work to completion and then ceasing to work and resting. And he also shows here that he is the one who has created the Sabbath. The Sabbath belongs to God. It's his Sabbath. So the only one, follow the logic here, the only one who could claim rightly to be the Lord of the Sabbath is the very one who created and established it in the first place. The very one who created the world and all that is in it in six days and then rested on the Sabbath. He is the only one who could say, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. What does Jesus do? I, the Son of Man, am the Lord of the Sabbath. So when Jesus says in in chapter 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's not just whistling Dixie. 
He's not just throwing something out there to be nice. He is offering to us a true and better Sabbath. He's offering in himself a true and better rest. He is offering his people mercy through rest. But the Sabbath wasn't only about rest. Now, when God gave Israel the Sabbath as a gift, remember when he gave it to them. He gave it to them on the heels of redeeming them from slavery, from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. He brings them out of Egypt, saves them, redeems them, then gives them the Sabbath as a gift, as a part of his covenant with them. So the Sabbath is about rest, but the Sabbath is also about freedom. We see this come out in Deuteronomy when Moses reiterates the law and he repeats the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5. He says this, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. And as in Exodus when he gave the reason as, as that God created and then the seventh day he rested, in Deuteronomy he gives a different reason. He says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And that the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So the Sabbath is to be a weekly reminder of God's saving mercy. It's to be a weekly reminder of the freedom that Israel had been given in God's redemptive act. It is to be a reminder that the yoke of anxiety and performance and rules is taken off by God the Redeemer. The Sabbath is to be a day marked by mercy. The Sabbath is to be a gift, a light burden, and an easy yoke. It's a day not only to remember God's mercy in giving freedom, but also a day, the whole Old Testament speaks of this, a day to grant freedom to lighten the burdens of others through acts of mercy. Now on the heels of this teaching, off the heels of this interaction with the Pharisees, we have a story. And really the the point of this next story, this Sabbath healing in the synagogue, is that Jesus is showing now his authority as Lord of the Sabbath. So I'm, I'm claiming to be Lord of the Sabbath, now I'm going to prove it. In doing so, he shows God's why for the Sabbath. So he goes out from there, he enters the synagogue. A man was there with a withered hand. Pharisees get out their notebooks again. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. And he says to them, okay, which one of you has a sheep? It falls into a pit on the Sabbath. Won't you take hold of it and lift it out? How much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy, just like the other one. So with one authoritative declaration of verse 12, Jesus says, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. This authoritative declaration, Jesus clarifies the true meaning of the Sabbath, God's why for the Sabbath, which is mercy, not performance. And with one act of mercy, Jesus proves he is Lord of the Sabbath. By healing this man, he shows them that they've got the Sabbath all wrong by focusing on the how and missing the why. They've made it about themselves. And when you make, 
relationship with God about yourself, when you make religion about yourself, you miss God and you miss your neighbor. We create a religion that misses mercy when it's all about us. But when we remember that it's about God who shows mercy to undeserving sinners like you and like me, we are able then to take our eyes off of ourselves and see both God and our neighbors. Now, I'll just end by saying that some of us, some of you, are addicted to work. And I'm not talking about workaholics. Some of you are workaholics. Some of us are workaholics. But rather, the ones I'm addressing are the closet Pharisees. Those are those of us who attempt to achieve in our own power what the temple and the Sabbath represent, which is a relationship with God marked by freedom, rest, and mercy. So what we do as closet Pharisees is we spend our days adding bricks to a wall of expectation, a wall of achievement, a wall of merit, trying to build this temple up to God so that we can reach him. But at the end of the day, we realize that we've built these bricks and we've built a wall all around ourselves and we've enclosed ourselves in a prison that we can't climb out of. And your inability then only serves to create and increase all of your anxieties and turmoil because you weren't meant to attain these things in your own power. You weren't meant to climb your way up to God in order to please Him. Some of you are addicted to work. Others of you frame your entire lives around rest. You believe that the entire purpose of your life in this world is to achieve rest for yourself. So you go to work on Monday and all you can think about is Friday, the weekend. I'm working for the weekend. You work hard to build up a comfortable retirement that you can enjoy, or maybe now you're enjoying it. Or you work as hard as as you can to avoid work altogether, assuming that for some reason you're entitled to a life of rest and leisure and living off perhaps the charity and hard work of others. But neither of these approaches, biblically, and I think Jesus addresses it in this passage, neither of these approaches to work and rest will give you the rest you're looking for. For those of you who are pursuing rest, when Jesus, as Lord of the Sabbath, redefines the Sabbath, He doesn't cancel out our need to work. He gives work a purpose. And leaning into His yoke with Him, offering mercy and freedom to others as, as acts, of, that acts that come from a freedom that only He can give us. This is the way to glorify God in our work. Jesus never calls us to pursue rest on our own as its own end. He only calls us to pursue Him. And when we do that, what do we find? We find meaning in our work and we find the rest that we're looking for. Now, for those of you who are addicted to work, I think Jesus would say today to you that you simply can't do it. You can't work your way to God. You can't earn it. All of your anxieties and rules 
and regulations and expectations will not achieve for you the peace that you're looking for. Jesus is saying to you today, come to me. Take my yoke, my lighter load. Learn from me and I will give you rest. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has done the work for us. Through his own merciful sacrifice, offering us forgiveness, offering us right standing with God. And that is a gift you cannot earn. So in lives that are often defined like my own and yours perhaps, often defined by stress or anxiety, pressure to perform, Jesus offers us rest for our souls. In Jesus, our work no longer has to do with performance, no longer has to do with earning favor with God, but because that favor has been earned for us by Jesus, we can now approach work from a place of deep and meaningful rest. And because God, because Jesus is the greater than the temple, because he is Lord of the Sabbath, because he is Lord of both our work and our rest, this is true. So this morning, the only thing I can appeal to you for is simply to come to him. To come to Jesus. And that's enough. Let's pray. Jesus, we do come to you as the one who is greater than the temple. The one in whom we meet Yahweh himself. The one in whom we come to the triune God and find Emmanuel, God, with us. The very eternal Son of God, our hope, our Redeemer, our Deliverer, our perfect sacrifice, our everything. And so, Jesus, we look to you today for the rest that we so desire. God, we confess today that we are like these Pharisees. I am like these Pharisees, constantly trying to put down the rules and meet them in order that I might please you. And Father, would you crucify that in our hearts? Would you crucify that desire to work our way into heaven and to your good graces and try to do the work of the temple and the Sabbath on our own? Father, would we see Jesus as our only way to you and our only Sabbath rest? Would you open our eyes to that this morning, even as we come this morning to the communion table and break bread and take of wine, knowing that all that you could ever do, you've done for us in Jesus. We could never do it on our own, and we thank you for him. Jesus, may we look to you as we go from here this week as our rest, and may we work out of gratitude and love and joy, living lives of mercy for your sake. We pray this in your name. Amen.